friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Greg, it is good to be here today as we continue, I don't know, maybe even wrap up. Where's Jonathan? We'll just say continue. Um, Our Experiencing Jesus uh, series, and we're going to be back in the book of John. Uh, You can turn there if you want to. John chapter 5 is where we'll be eventually. Not sure exactly how long it'll take me to get there. But in the Gospel of John, we see seven seven miracles, or seven signs to be exact. And we've said this before, but I think it bears uh, repeating, that John did not follow Jesus out of or because of faith. He followed Jesus... He received him as Messiah because of what he heard and what he saw. Does that make sense? Do you see the the, the, the distinction? He didn't have faith in faith. He had faith in what he saw, and what he saw was a person, a, a God person. And then he wrote some letters to you and I so that we might believe what he believed. So if you already turned to John chapter 5, you don't need to flip around. It's on the screen. 1 John 1, 1 says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the Word, capital W. This is Jesus, the Word of life. The life appeared, and when His life appeared, our lives changed. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed claim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and now has appeared to us. So this eternal life is obviously not just something that we get when we die. It's something that can be seen and observed and had for our own, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Do you think he's trying to get a point here? So that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're a visitor here, we welcome you into this fellowship. This is why we're here today. And why John wrote this is because this is what convinced him that Jesus was king. And he prays that it will convince you as well. We see this in his gospel, John 20, 31. But these are written, what? These seven miracles that I just told you about, these seven signs, I wrote those down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing this story, that Jesus is king, you might have life in his name. Amen? Of the seven signs uh, in the Gospel of John, Chase talked about the first one last week. The first one John documented anyways. And that was the turning of water into wine. And at that point, Jesus was up around the Sea of Galilee near a town called Cana. And... uh, 
once the miracle took place, Jesus' cover at this point is pretty much blown. Right? So everywhere Jesus goes after this, miracles are taking place. I love what Tim Keller says about miracles. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has the power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, while Jesus and his disciples are walking around after this miracle at Cana, a father comes up to, to Jesus because word was getting out. He's hearing about these stories of all these miracles that are, that are taking place. And the father says, I, I, I've heard about you and my son is sick. Will you come visit my house? And Jesus says, just go on home. He's fine. And that nobleman had a decision to make. And it's the same decision that we have to make today. Are we going to trust Jesus. For a lot of us, somebody who we've just heard about, are we going to trust this person who we've just heard about? Well, five or six days after that healing, uh, Jesus and his ragamuffins, they are working their way up to Jerusalem. Yes, I said they were up north. It's not like us saying, hey, I'm going to go up to Texas. It drives me crazy, right? I know they can go down to Texas. You go up to Kansas, right? But, but what happened here is, is Jerusalem is up on a hill, right? So no matter where you came from, you were going up to Jerusalem. And the story, I could have read it to you, but I think we'll just show it to you. The story could have gone something a little bit like this. Shalom. Me. Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, 
The others stepped down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. This pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing, and you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. said don't forget your bed why does this matter because you're not coming back here that life is over everything changes now and clap right We're the hand clap because it's not just a story, right? I mean, this actually happened, and the story was written so that we wouldn't forget it. Why? For a specific purpose that you and I might believe. See, the story begins with Jesus walking into a place where healthy people avoided like the plague because it was like the plague, and what we see is that there's no place that Jesus is afraid to go. He doesn't avoid the hard places. He doesn't avoid the hard people. He enters into our mess wherever we're at. And Jesus sees. He sees one that's been lame for 38 years. Jesus 
sees. Isn't that comforting? Maybe a little convicting, but isn't it comforting that no matter what, Jesus sees you. There's never a time where he doesn't. And then Jesus speaks. Does anybody in here know that when Jesus speaks, everything changes? Any witnesses? A couple. I see I've got my work, my work cut out for me. He didn't heal every person that day. As far as we know, he didn't heal every person that he came across. But he healed more than enough people so that we would know when we're sick where to go to, for healing. He didn't deliver every single person who was in trouble. But he delivered more than enough so that we would know where to go when we're in trouble and who the deliverer is. He goes to this man, 38 years, lame. Don't know how long he'd been coming to this pool. But 38 years. I just kind of imagine he goes up to the oldest and the furthest gone, the one, the one who, who was in the worst condition. And I think he does that just to remind us that no matter where we're at today, there's no such thing as too far gone from his touch. And while he may not have healed everybody, we don't have any evidence anywhere in Scripture where somebody cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, nah. Amen? Do you want to be healed, Jesus asked. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to get well? I think it's a legitimate question, isn't it? Because sometimes getting well seems harder than staying sick. Sometimes getting well means letting go of the past. Where there's some things in that past that you're afraid, man, if I let go of it, I'll let go of that piece, and we end up hanging on to our demise. Sometimes getting well means forgiving someone. And just because you forgive someone doesn't make them right. It makes you free. Sometimes getting help requires a whole new level of humility, transparency, and accountability. Sometimes when you're sick, you actually get things that you don't get when you're well. Attention, help, other people doing stuff for you. But when you're made whole, excuses are eliminated and expectations are elevated, and that can be scary, if we're honest. Because when you're sick, nobody expects anything out of you, do they? But when you're well, we expect something because to whom much is given, much is required. But it can be a frightening thing, let's just be honest. So whether it's a physical ailment or more likely for us, uh, a habit, sin habit, we've got to be reminded that we honor God, we honor ourselves, and we honor those in the closest circle to us when we get well. 
So the question I think Jesus would have for all of us, in big ways and small ways, do you have the desire to get well? Really? A sickness? Mental sickness? Sin patterns? Destructive behaviors? Do you have the desire to get better? Just answer that honestly to yourself. Jesus asked the question. And he says, I have no one to help me. Now, I'm not going to rail on the guy, but it's a pretty lame excuse. Chase started the puns last week. I just thought I would continue. Some of you are going to be driving home. You're going, ah, lame excuse, lame excuse. He's like, I, I need a person. I have no man. Jesus is asking about a desire. Do you want things to be different or have you gotten so complacent in your condition that you're just going to stay there and lay in it? This man thinks that if he had a person, he wouldn't be like this anymore. Some of you get this, right? You believe that if you had a person, that they would do for you what only Jesus can do for you. See, our, our, our minds and our bodies are so closely connected that they catch each other's diseases, don't they? See, Jesus is asking, do you, do you want to be made whole? And this guy just assumes he's, a talk, he's talking about his physical condition. Yet, yet his mind can only make excuses, right? Because his mind is sick too. You can't separate the thought from the thinker. And there's two, at least two, maybe more, misdirected thoughts, I believe. It's somebody else's fault. Right? The reason I am here in this condition, in this sickness, in this pain, is because of somebody else. It, it's, it's their fault. And we, and we have a tendency to find lots of people. If you, if you have this disease, you have lots of people that you may blame. And you look at all kinds of other people, but you don't look at the person in the mirror. James, Jesus' brother, says that we can actually look in the mirror and then walk away as if there's nothing wrong. Michael Jackson may not have got a lot of things right. But he did get that right. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to make a change. No message could have been any clearer if you want to make the world a better place. <laughs> Take a look at yourself and make a... Actually, it was change. <laughs> Now, to try to do that on our own, dangerous. With Jesus, doable. So, first fault, first sick way of thinking. <laughs> it's somebody else's fault. The opposite is also true. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. And you're way too hard on yourself, right? And when you look in the mirror, it looks a little bit like this. Oh, I suck. I'm so bad, right? And we just waller in cat pity. 
Sometimes we look in the mirror and it's more like this. <laughs> right? When we look in the mirror, we don't like who we see, so we attack them. So, to blame it on other people, to feel sorry for yourself, to attack yourself, stinking thinking, and it will not get you anywhere. Wilt thou be made whole? Was the question. See, a lot had happened to this man over 38 years. And he needed some wholeness in his emotions. He needed some wholeness in his attitude. He needed some wholeness in his hope. He needed some wholeness in his expectations. And of course, he needed some wholeness in his body. Everything, all of that changes with Jesus. So he looks at him and he says, get up. Get up. Now, I don't know if you were tracking the story. The, the, the stories of Jesus' miracles were just getting out, but that was north of Jerusalem. They're entering Jerusalem. This guy doesn't know who Jesus is. So some stranger walks up to him, and he's in this condition, and he says, get up. Seriously, how would you respond? What would be going through your mind? I can't. Or, dude, come on. Do you think I haven't tried? Do you think I haven't tried and tried and tried? Do you think that, that every day I didn't wake up for, for 10 years thinking that this nightmare might end? But then I finally gave up. For us, may not be and probably is not physical paralysis, right? But for us, it's like, do you know how many times I've tried to get off drugs? Do you know how many times I've tried to stop over drinking? Do you know how many times I've tried and tried to stop looking at porn? Do you know how many times I've tried to stop being so bitter? Do you know how many times I've tried to get rid of this angry temper? Do you know, Jesus, do you know how many times I've tried? I think he would say, yeah, you've tried, but for 38 years you tried without me. And it didn't get you anywhere. See, Jesus, Jesus says, get up, which also means wake up. Come to life. When he says to Tabitha, get up, he's saying, come back to life. Come to life. Wake up. Are you going to miss this opportunity? When Jesus does the healing, let's be honest, he did all that's on him. This guy did nothing. But he did have some cooperation to do, right? He did have some obedience to do. He had to do what he was told to do. Jesus could have healed him and he could have laid there, healed, but laid there for another 38 years, right? But he didn't do it. Immediately, immediately this man stood up. Instantly, after one encounter with Jesus, right? One encounter with Jesus did what 38 years with a counselor, 38 years with a doctor couldn't do. 
And I guess, I'd hope, that there are some witnesses in this place that can remember and say, I tried, and I tried, and I tried. But once I got that thing right with Jesus, everything changed. And he did for me what I could never do on my own. Amen? Amen. Now, it's not, it is about hearing Jesus and obeying, but don't hear that I'm trying to give some formula for healing, right? We want that these days. Here's three steps to a better marriage. Here's four steps to your healing. Here's five steps to deliverance. Come on. Let's not, let's not put God in a box. He's not this genie. If we just rub it, rub it just right, poof. The miracle that Chase talked about last week, water into wine. That, that, one, that, that, didn't, that miracle didn't happen just like this one, right? That one didn't happen in an instant. He had to get several different people involved, right? They, they, they had to go get these jars, wipe them out, go down to the community well, fill it up, carry it on their shoulders back, pick up the next jar, go back, fill that one up, right? To the point where they had about, what, was it 907? 709? 907 bottles worth of water that Jesus turned into wine. That would have taken some time, right? It's different. Jesus sees two blind men at different times. One time, gets some mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, says, go wash it off. Boom, he could heal. Another blind guy, he touches twice and he's healed. One guy can't hear, so Jesus sticks his fingers in his ears. All of a sudden, he could hear. There's a guy who couldn't speak. Jesus spits and touches his tongue. It's kind of nasty if you think about it, but, but the guy could talk afterwards. So what's my point? Just trust Jesus. Don't try to tell him how to do the healing. Just get up close to him and believe that he can do it. And so if Jesus says to you, or you hear Holy Spirit in this time with us together today, you hear Holy Spirit saying something, get up. Then get up. Nobody else can do it for you. And if you're disobedient, if I'm disobedient to God in any area of our life, we open the door for Satan to come in and wreak havoc. The Bible's got one message told a thousand different ways throughout from cover to cover, right? One message. Do things God's way and you will experience his blessing. Don't do things God's way. You're going to experience futility. Remember what futility is? It's like that jar that they were filling up with water that has cracks in it. And every time you go back and fill it up, it leaks out and you wind up empty. That's futility. The other thing that the Bible tells us that we can experience is death. Do things God's, God's way. You're going to experience His blessing. I'm not telling you you're going to get rich and drive a Rolls Royce. I'm saying you're going to experience His blessing. If you choose not to do things God's way, you're going to experience futility and death. So the first one was get up. Got to love these three-point messages for pastors that are built right in. Next one, pick up your mat. Pick up your mat. We were asking in the prayer room, we were 
I've been praying for you this week, been praying for me this week. What does the mat represent for you? I'm not going to talk much on that. I'm going to let Holy Spirit maybe reveal that to you. But I love the guy's question. It's not necessarily biblical, but I love the guy's question in the clip. Peter comes up, says, pick up your mat. He's like, why does it matter? You know what I think the mat represents? I think the mat represents, look what Jesus did for me. That's what I think the mat represents. And I think it's important that we carry it, and we carry it well. When we were saying, show of hands, do you remember a time, did you, do you, do you, have you had a victory in your life where God showed up, set you free, does a miracle in your life? Can you remember a time? I hope so. Perry's raising his hands like this. I, I'm, I sat right over there for the, how long have you been here? This is not in the notes, so Todd, stop the clock. Huh? Five years and a few months. Well, five years ago, Perry's sitting right there. I'm sitting back there. I know Perry's story. Can I say it? Wrongfully in prison for something he didn't do for over three decades. And he's sitting down here saying, God, will, God has never failed me yet. And raising his hands, and I'm sitting back there weeping. I'm like, man, if he ain't failed that guy, I better get a silver spoon out of my mouth. <sighs> Many of us have a story. Maybe not, maybe not as... I wouldn't have made it without people like you. Well, and I wouldn't make it without people like you. Well, ours may not be as dramatic as Perry's, but a lot of us have stories, like Perry, where God, His mercy, spared us. In uh, Second Corinthians, hang on. And while I'm on the floor, uh, what the church may not know is that in 2005, I was also paralyzed from the neck down, and diagnosed never to walk again. I would be lucky if I could turn my head side to side. Devil is a liar. Yes. Amen. Amen. Stories like that, again, they don't have to be that dramatic. But, but it does matter. Here's why it matters is because we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, right? That God's advancing his work through people like you and me. So it's important that we pick up our mat and carry them in such a way that other people can see and therefore they get hope. That we can use our past victories to help set somebody else free. It reminds me of David. 1 Samuel 21, 23, right? Where David is living in the king's palace. He's married to the king's daughter. He, he's not the king yet, but he's anointed as the next king, right? And, and the real king, King Saul, is jealous of all this attention that David is getting. And so he gets angry, and he wants to kill him. The sin of Cain just being passed down. If somebody angers us, comes against us, let's just wipe them out. But Prince Jonathan, which is... The king's son and David's best friend warns David. And so David's like, he, he got out of there quick. 
And he left so quick that he didn't have time to grab a weapon. So, so he goes down uh, south a little bit to, to a, another temple of God, to, to a house of God. And there is a guy named Ahimelech, a priest named Ahimelech. And so he goes in and he says, hey, can I get some bread? And I had to leave so fast I didn't ha have a weapon. Do, do you have a weapon? He's like, yeah, here, here's some bread. And we, we, we do have one weapon, David. Uh, you, you might recognize it. He brings it out. It's Goliath's sword. I mean, can you imagine, David's still, he's maybe not a little boy anymore, but he's not all that big, and, and Goliath was, was huge, and can you imagine David carrying around this humongous sword? But what was he really carrying around? He's carrying around this, this thing that displays to everybody, that reminds him and anybody that comes near him that, that this is something that I could have never done on my own. It's this sword, Goliath's sword, that was used there. Goliath. And so what does David do? David gets 400 uh, men that, that go down in Judah to uh, Kela, where this town was being attacked by Philistines, ironically enough. The king should have been the one protecting this town, but he didn't do his job. So David steps in, and he's like, okay, I'm going to protect them. So, so he goes in carrying the weapon of his last victory. Amen? He's taking a weapon. Are you, are you getting this? He's taking a weapon that the enemy meant for evil, but turned it for good. And he's using that weapon to set a group of people free. Do you see how this sword is David's mat? This would be yes, this would be no. I can go over it again. I can go back. <laughs> this is his mat. Your mat may be a bad marriage that God set you free from. Right? I don't mean set you free like that. They gave you a better marriage. The same one, but a better one, right? And he can use that marriage to help other people have a good marriage. He can take your addiction and turn it around and redeem it. Say, get up. You're healed from that. Now walk in such a way that other people go, if he can get free, I can get free. Does it make sense? All right. Next, walk. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Where you walk matters. Okay? Where you walk matters. The principle of the path. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Right? Heard this before? Direction, not intention, determines your destination. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good man. Well, are you moving in that direction? Or is it just an intention, right? If you want to eat in Yukon for lunch, I, I don't care what you do. If you take class in the Western, jump on I-40 East, I don't care what your intention is, you ain't eating in Yukon. That makes sense? The direction you're going matters more than the want to. Are you moving in a... Where did this guy go? 
38 years, he's not allowed to go to the temple. What's the first thing he does as soon as he's healed? He heads to the temple. He moves in the direction of God. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He didn't know Jesus is God. So he moves in, in the only direction that he knows God is at. I think that's pretty good advice for us. Yeah. So at the temple, Jesus had slipped away. By the way, I, I'm sure I've read this before, but I just, I just didn't catch it ever before. But Jesus had slipped away, and Pharisees are like, why are you carrying that mat? You're not allowed to carry your mat. They, could, they were so religious, they couldn't even celebrate somebody being healed after 38 years. They're like, you're breaking a rule that we made up. Anyways, that's for another story. Um, but Jesus comes back up to him in the temple. He's like, I see you're healed. Yeah. Stop sinning. Or things could get worse. Stop sinning or things may get worse. You see, there is something worse than being paralyzed. There's something worse than that pain, and that's spiritual paralysis. And you know it, you've met them, but so many people through spiritual apathy who have missed out on the abundant, joyful, peace-filled life because of spiritual paralysis. They just got stuck and stopped moving. But on the other side of that, I don't have time for you right now, God, I'm kind of a big deal coin. On the other side of that is woe is me. Like the cat, like that first cat we looked at. Oh, They're both the same side. I mean, they're two sides of the same misidentity co coin. One side says, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want because God's grace will just cover it. No, God's grace is his power to transform. That's what God's grace is, not just to cover up sin. Grace doesn't allow us to merely live in the flesh. It changes the desires of the flesh. That's what His grace does. It's God's healing. It's His delivering power that allows us to become something that we could never, never have become on our own. But again, on the other side of that coin, we keep flipping it back and forth, is the woe is me, the I'm not worthy Every time I touch something, I mess it up. My life is jacked up. And what I want to say to you is, you're living your life in a jacked up world. Join the club. This is hard. This is hard. But guilt, condemnation, shame, three tricks of the devil that's been around since the beginning of time. And the devil will remind you of your sin and remind you that you fall short of God's glory and leave it there. And my question is, why are you stuck on thinking about you? Why not think about the gift? Because the gift, and the gift giver, right? Because the gift of God is eternal life, not that thing when you die, that thing that can start right now, the abundant, full, joyful, peace-filled life, that abundant life can start right now. 
But Satan's crafty, isn't he? He can take God's word and and just so subtly twist and manipulate to the point where it changes the entire meaning, right? He's done this since the garden. I think for some of us, we get to think, you know, I know Jesus died for my sins uh, and remembers them no more, but what what if I sin willfully? There's that word. What if I sin willfully? When do you not sin willfully? When do you ever sin in such a way that the will is not involved? But I understand where this comes from. It's taking God's word and twisting it a little bit, right? Hebrews 10, 26, had me in spiritual paralysis, right? Remember what that says? If you, if you go on sinning willfully after receiving, I probably have it, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, is that it? Yes. There's no, there no longer remains sacrifice for sins. Raise your hand if you've ever read this verse. Man, this is a great verse to keep teenagers under wraps. <laughs> I am living proof, right? Like, what does that mean? I know the knowledge of the truth. I've seen the light, yet I did this. So does that mean there's no salvation left? I mean, that doesn't sound like the Jesus we hear in every other place. But I'm telling you, Hebrews 10, 26, yes, sir, I mean, that one had me. But is that what it means? What's going on here in Hebrews? See, we can flip over to Ephesians and we can find about 10 or more sins that you can work out, that you can live out there, right? You can flip over to Galatians, you got another 15 different, here's some real bad sins, Here's some fleshly desires. You ever heard what was going on in Corinth? Those people were. Lots of things. Lots of sin, fleshly, diabolical living that was going on. And so he's spelling it out. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. So what's going on in Hebrews? See, those, those other books were written to Gentiles. And those were the sins of the Gentiles. Because in a lot of, uh, I'm not making excuses for them, but in a lot of ways, they didn't know what the Jews knew. So this was, this was teaching. They needed training. They needed instruction. They didn't know. But what was, this, what was the sin of the Hebrews? It was unique, right? I mean, for 10 chapters, 10 chapters, it only talks about one sin. Do you remember what it is? Unbelief. Unbelief. So does that make that verse make sense now in context a little more? If you keep on sinning after you receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no salvation, there's no sacrifice for those sins. What's the only sin? What's the only willful choice mentioned in the first 10 chapters? Jesus, no thank you. Jesus, I'll pass. Jesus, I I got this. I got this on my own. So what's it mean? It means if we sin by not believing Jesus, by not believing in Jesus, then after receiving the knowledge of the truth, what's the truth? What's the truth? Who's the truth? Jesus. If we don't believe after hearing 
the truth of the gospel that Jesus is king, that he is leader of the cosmos, and he is your forgiver, if you're willing to say no way and choose not to believe, there's no other sacrifice. Where else would you go? The temple? Kill a bird? No. Those, those were all just a, a shadow of what was, was to come. Jesus is the only place that we have to turn. He is God in the flesh, casting out, healing, and delivering. So, is there any area in your life that you would, you would want and desire to experience healing? Small or big, physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual? Is there any place in your heart and life where you need Jesus' healing touch? Man, this can be scary. But Jesus' perfect love cast out fear. See, if we were to go on in Hebrews chapter 10, you get to verse 39 and it says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back, those who are scared, those who are timid and wind up destroyed, but to those who by faith are saved. We welcome you into this fellowship. What's the kind of fellowship that we have? We have an undying love for Jesus. We're born of an imperishable seed. He will never leave us or forsake us and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And in His hand there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And even when we're faithless, He is faithful. Amen? So the band can come back up. So it's a fairly simple, straightforward message. Get up. Get up. What does that look like? Obey what Jesus has told you. Today or sometime in the past that you've just put off. Get up just means do what he says. Pick up your mat. Pick up your mat. What's that about? Carry your junk that he set you free from in such a way, proudly, not sulking, with a smile on your face and no shame so that other people can go, if he can do it, I can do it. Yes. Walk. Move in the direction towards God. Find out where he's working. Find out where he's moving. Find out where he's showing up and you show up there too. And then go and sin no more. Go and sin no more, and you will break the bounds of spiritual paralysis. And you will let loose the abundant life in your life. Stand with me as we pray. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit, as we sing, would just get real close and intimate with us, each individually. Only, only you can do that. Only you can speak directly to our hearts. Father, I believe that whether it's been 38 years or 38 months or 38 weeks, we've all been lying around in some stuff. And we don't have to do it another day. We don't have to do it another hour if you say get up. So Holy Spirit, would you tune in our ears to your words? And then
then would you give us the courage to respond because your love, Jesus, cast out any kind of fear and the abundant life is on the other side of the first step. Pray this in Jesus' name. As we sing, as always, we'll have people to come pray with. They have, they have cast out demons. They have prayed for healing, and we've seen healing take place. If you'd like to pray by yourself, you can come pray at the altar. Grab somebody and come pray, but don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. The guy was laying there 38 years, right? What else happened for 38 years in the Old Testament? There was some wandering going on of the nation of Israel, right? A trip that could have taken 10 days took them 38 to 40 years. Because they just waited and delayed. Don't do that. If you felt Holy Spirit move, move. In Jesus' name.